All right. So we're recording. Um, all right. So I'm just going to start. <laughs> we're recording. <laughs> it's already funny. Um, all right. Go ahead. Hello, and welcome to the Posh Corps podcast. I'm Alan Toth. I'm a filmmaker and a return Peace Corps volunteer. And I'm Sakura Camposanto, and I am also a return Peace Corps volunteer and a musician. And Posh Corps is a term that volunteers use to refer to a Peace Corps site that is too nice or too modern. Uh, and that perfectly captures what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is to discuss the modern and changing volunteer experience. Um, and the theme for today's show is, what is work? Yeah, um, it's the American question, but also it's a question that we ask ourselves when we are in country and we're currently serving, what is my job? You know, we're so desperate to tell our friends and family back home or to write on our blogs or if we do in-country podcasts or anything like that to explain what is our job in Peace Corps. So that that's always a, a thing that I still, I mean, I've been back home for like two years and I'm still wrestling with that concept of what is work and what will make you happy versus what will make the American pressure and the culture of being a millennial, that pressure of trying to get a job and 40 hours a week and health insurance and all that stuff that comes along with being an American. I think we're like uh, like the perfect people to address this question because, um, like, Sakura, what do you do? I'm a musician. I'm also a music teacher, but, I mean, I would say I'm a musician first and foremost. Right. And that is, it's, it's an interesting thing to say but I sometimes I think people are a little bit jealous a little bit confused a little envious and just you know very baffled as to why a you went to college and then you went to Peace Corps and then you worked at a record label and now you work at a music school and you're a teacher and then you like gig around and record albums like you know I guess because you know the the a to B to C D, like that doesn't, it's not happening in a sequential order. Mm. That's very hard for people in America to understand yeah, yeah. the pathways. So as we said, the theme for today's episode is work, or rather what is work. Um, I shot an interview with a currently serving Peace Corps volunteer in South Africa, and he discusses his work as an educator in the South African school system. I'm in South Africa, in a place called Quan de Belle, shooting a feature documentary about Peace Corps service. Sharp, sharp. Uh, this is my, my friend Alan is shooting a video. Uh, this is Mandla. And Mandla is Tulani's uncle. Oh. Good to meet you. This is Alan and Lily. Good to meet you. How are you? Good, how are you? What is this? Can I have one? What is it? We're visiting a volunteer named George Nishikawa. The production team is spending the day walking around the village with the camera and sound equipment, just getting people used to seeing it. Um, this is my village. Um, it's called Quaja Fontaine, but it's also called, um, has two names. It's called Three names, actually. It's called Quaja Fontaine, Section E. It's also called Jabulani, which is the, um, I guess, the Nibele name. And it's also called uh, Freisvacht, which is the Afrikaans name. I asked George why he joined Peace Corps. Why did I join Peace Corps? It's kind of a loaded question. Um, After my 25th birthday, I'm I'm 28 by the way, I'm turning 29 this year in a few months. Um, It's kind of like I saw my life, I feel like I I, I had a really good job, I had an awesome girlfriend, I had a sports car, 
had like everything. And I felt like I kind of beat the game. And so I wanted to play a different game or do something else. And uh, do something really challenging, and that's why I'm here. Um, also, my family kind of has a history of doing Peace Corps. So three of my uncles did Peace Corps. And um, one of my cousins is currently in Senegal. So um, it's, it's kind of a family thing, truthfully, I think. Um, one of them served in El Salvador, um, Paraguay, and also um, Vanuatu, Pacific Islands. And I currently, like I said, have a cousin in Senegal. So it's kind of a kind of thing to do in my family <laughs> is do Peace Corps. We go back to George's house and set up for an interview. George lives with a host family and we're shooting in an empty house on their property. It's typically reserved for the ancestors, but occasional guests are okay too. Um, so I was wondering, like, before you did Peace Corps, you were, who were you working for? Um, before I joined Peace, blech, before I joined Peace Corps, I used to work for the County of San Diego Department of Environmental Health. Whoa, what'd you do? Um, it's kind of a long mouthful. Um, I was an environmental health specialist. And so basically what he did is, uh, the Department of Environmental Health, we regulated like, um, uh, food, like restaurants, like grocery stores, um, anything to do with food. Um, we also regulated, um, housing. We did vector control. Um, we did recreational waters, like swimming pools. Um, just a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, that, that's, that's, I sort of, I used to be a, a public health regulator. <laughs> Would you say that maybe Peace Corps makes you a better person? Yes. Peace Corps has made me a better person. I can already tell. Um, I'm just more patient. I, I feel like what Peace Corps does, and this is why I think a lot of people fail in Peace Corps, is because they come to Peace Corps, like I said, running away from something. The thing about Peace Corps is that it exposes all your weaknesses. It takes all your flaws and puts a magnifying glass on them and makes you look at them. And that's really what Peace Corps does to you, like this experience. So I feel like that um, it's pointing out my weaknesses here. And it's, 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 it's forced me to really make myself stronger. I don't know if you, if you feel comfortable. What, what weaknesses do you suppose it exposed? Mm, okay. One of my main weaknesses is that, one that I had, is that... Um, I'm, remember I told you I was a Gemini because you both sides of the argument? In that way, I, I, I wasn't able to be as strict as I wanted to as a regulator. Like, I was good at what I did, but I was always able to get a compromise, if that makes sense. For the people that wouldn't compromise with me, I had a lot of difficulty with. And when you're a teacher in South Africa, there's no room for compromise. <laughs> The next day, we go to the school where George teaches. His classroom walls are covered in graffiti. The windows are broken. There are too many kids and not enough desks. Classroom challenges in school, the most common one is kids don't have pens to write with. And I don't remember that being a problem when I was growing up. Like, I always had a pen or a pencil. Um, these kids fight over it. 
Um, other challenges include um, lack of books, like lack, lack of textbooks. I don't have textbooks for my learners, so I have my own teacher set, and I kind of teach off of that, and I just have to, I have to write stuff on the board, and I have to copy it, and it's a waste of time, but I can't use a copy machine every day or whatever, have paper or have ink and toner. Um, yeah, material challenges are huge. I think that's one of the biggest problems is that, like, I don't have scissors. You know, like, I mean, when I was thinking when I was in school, like, oh, yeah, there's always scissors for these kids to use to cut stuff out. I realized I didn't have any scissors. <laughs> Where was I going to get some? Um, yeah, it's, it's just stuff like that you don't think about. You take for granted in American classrooms, but they just don't have those materials here. And I don't have the money as a Peace Corps volunteer to buy 84 pairs of scissors. I leave the school for the day to shoot B-roll. When I get back, George is grading tests. I watch him write the score on one exam, 4%. All the students failed. George is obviously very upset. His counterpart, Sibu Siso, a local teacher, is giving him a pep talk. Like, I didn't, I think I covered everything but this. And I just, I did, I don't like, I saw it, but like, I didn't, I just forgot to do it. Like I did, they did like Pythagorean theorem isn't on here. I did that. I did um, what did I do? I did, like all like all kinds of geometry and area and perimeter. None of it's on here. I don't know. I think I messed up. This is gonna sound really really cynical. I don't know if I want to say it, but it's like you know they they always tell you this in training and everything. They say you know you know as long as you get to know or as long as you know you. Like, you know, two or three kids get it. Like, you know, then you made a difference, you know? Or, you know, as, you know, as long as that one kid, you know, can use the past tense afterwards. Or, you know, these kids, they finally understand their multiplication tables. And, you know, even if you were doing it for two years, it's worth it. I want to do better than that. And it's not working out so far. <laughs> do you feel like that's something that all Peace Corps volunteers face? Or do you feel like you have a special desire to achieve really high results based on the number of people in your family who did Peace Corps? That's a good question. Um, I think it's something that every Peace Corps volunteer feels, but especially in South Africa, because we have, you have these really fancy curriculums, and these tests they give these kids are really difficult. They're, they're hard. Like, you give this, this to a kid in America, yeah, they pass, but they wouldn't be getting, like, 95%, right? They'd probably be getting, like, 70%, you know, 73%, you know, they'd, get, they'd be getting C's on these tests. And we're expecting these kids to only get 40%, but they don't speak English. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I want to do great things when I'm here. And it's just proving harder than I thought. And yeah, I mean, it's, I would love to go back and tell my family that I got like a 98% pass rate teaching math here or English here. I think that'd be really great. And I'm just, I guess I'm getting worried it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're back in the home of the ancestors. Sometimes life in South Africa is very poetic. As George tells me of his struggles, a huge storm rolls in. You know what's funny about South Africa though? It's like, like you said, everything never, nothing goes according to plan. Yeah. Nothing goes according to plan. Someone will tell me much later that this was George's worst moment in Peace Corps service. Peace Corps is very challenging work. It's supposed to be. Failure is a part of the equation. 
dogged tenacity is the only path to success. Volunteers fail over and over until they are worn down, worn down enough to reinvent themselves. They put themselves back together in a new culture, and the culture becomes a part of them. I think, I think being here, and actually I'm really happy here, you know, some days are really hard and some days aren't, but I really can't imagine being anywhere else right now. So I think I, think I was supposed to be here. And I'm glad that I, I took that path, I guess. I don't know. These are hard questions. <laughs> George has extended his service to a third year. He's now a mentor for volunteers just starting out. drinking lattes in Iowa, which was coincidentally the norm in 2005, your sexy and soothing voice came crooning to me from the television. How far would you go? You questioned me. How far would you go, Cynthia? Life is calling you. Join the United States Peace Corps. Now, Matthew, I'm not saying that you were the reason I joined the Peace Corps, but I do hold you partially accountable for what was to come, and you should know that. Despite your best intentions, your marketing campaign set a rather convincing romantic tone that never seemed to quite fit my two years in Tanzania. <laughs> so where did you go wrong? <laughs> in December 2006, a white Land Rover kicked up a large crowd of, cloud of red dust pulling in front of a very quiet high school campus. In the back seat, the seatbelt felt like a reassuring hug. And from the window, Mount Kilimanjaro seemed to stare down at me as if to say, dude, get out of the car. <laughs> the unclicky sound of the seatbelt's release seemed to echo throughout my four-wheel drive comfort zone. And in the time that it took for the red cloud of dust to settle back down, I could release one exhale before a short and wiry Tanzanian man bustled up to the car to help me heft my 100 pounds of luggage towards my new home. Mr. Mbea was not only my school's principal and closest neighbor, but he would be the only person I would see for the next 30 days, given that I had arrived promptly at the start of my students' holiday break. So the first 30 days were spent slowly, learning how to use my kerosene stove, failing to appropriately learn how to use my kerosene stove, eating gray and kind of sooty pasta, and reading a lot of books. Not exactly romantic Matthew, but you know that's okay because I also spent a lot of hours lesson planning for my students and thinking about, you know, fostering educational equity in developing countries and stuff. And so my excitement for my teaching job pretty much trumped gray pasta, which helped time pass until my first day of school. So 
let's cut to this first day of school, eh, Matthew? But before I do, I'm going to tell you this. I have been a teacher for 10 years. I have taught in dimly lit laboratories surrounded by Iowan cornfields. I have taught in loud and noisy urban after-school science programs. I've taught middle school hormonal math students, and I've taught college football players without any neck. <laughs> I thought I was ready. Life was calling. I was answering. And I thought that when I picked up the phone, I would hear some like beautiful crescendo of inspiring music or something. So let's do a dramatic reenactment, shall we? Scene. Dusty red road, whitewashed school buildings, crumbling masonry, large and imposing mountain in the back room. White woman enters classroom, evidence of gray soot on skirt. <laughs> 20, I'm sorry, 60 curious freshman faces glance up from 30 overcrowded desks, and the students rise. Good morning, madam. The first several minutes are spent with introductions. Mimi Nina Itwa Mualimu Cynthia. My name is Teacher Cynthia. Now, it takes a moment for the students to realize that I've said Cynthia rather than Cynthia, which is a very similar Swahili word that means sleepy. <laughs> and for quite a few of my students who didn't catch on to this difference, I have been and will probably forever be teacher sleepy, although this thought didn't occur to me at the time. Introductions continue, and my side of the conversation goes something like this. <clears throat> From America, the state of Iowa. Um, somewhere in the middle. Oh, no, I'm not married. I'm waiting to get married. 23 really isn't that old. <laughs> um, I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, class, let's talk about what we're learning in chemistry today. And with that transition, I thought I was beginning my instructional career in Tanzania. Life was calling, I was answering, and in fact, I was prepared to answer it using tried instructional strategies like scaffolding my instruction to incorporate key Swahili terms just so I could meet my students with where they were at. So off I went, head first into my first chemistry lesson using an intricate combination of English, Swahili, and elaborate hand gestures. <laughs> Today we are learning about matter. I said exuberantly, using the slow and deliberate special English that my Peace Corps trainers taught me to use. And what is matter? Matter is anything with space and mass. And what is mass? Nzito, I said exuberantly, using hand gestures to indicate a very large sack of potatoes 
and a very fragile egg. <laughs> and what is space? Nafasi, I continued with my hand gestures in Swahili. Space can be big, kubwa, or space can be very small, ndogo. <laughs> it was at this moment, Matthew McConaughey, that things went disastrously wrong. <laughs> and I simultaneously learned two things. First, my 60 freshman students had a different interpretation for my description of small space. <laughs> and second, one's right pointer finger bobbing in and out of one's left loop hand holds rather universal meaning. <clears throat> I want to pause here and say a big F you to Matthew McConaughey with your smooth voice and your television charm and your easy breezy Hollywood comforts and in addition to that bold four-letter word I offer you Matthew I encourage you to savor that modicum of uncomfortable embarrassment that you may be feeling right now observe it embrace it if there were a musical theme to my Peace Corps experience, it would not be the beautiful crescendo so much as a finger slipping on the wrong piano key followed by a long and uncomfortable pause. <laughs> but in those pauses, I did get several things right. I taught Mr. Mbeya's four-year-old daughter how to shuffle cards. I taught Nikki math. George and I figured out the lyrics to that Dr. Dre song. My students sang I Believe I Can Fly to the rest of the school, and they even did dance moves. Mr. Mbeya liked my chocolate cake. Nikki's mom taught me how to tie a headscarf, and I finally figured out my kerosene stove. And those are the things I remember, the little stuff and the people, nothing television worthy, nothing that fits your marketing campaign. And Matthew, maybe if there's a soundtrack to my experience, it won't be a beautiful crescendo, and it won't be your sexy voice, which I will admit is incredibly unfortunate. <laughs> maybe it'll be that really discordant sound a piano makes when a finger slips, followed by an uncomfortable pause. But what a wonderful thing, those uncomfortable pauses. Thank you. That was Cynthia Markova telling her story at a volunteer story slam in San Francisco. Been going for so long Been staring out the window at the nothingness As time goes by so as we mentioned, today's theme is work, or rather the question, what is work? And as I said, this is the Poshcore podcast. Um, and actually, Sakura and I both served in what you would call Poshcore countries. Um, Sakura, you had a you had a, an experience with Poshcore, I think, right? I did. I served in Morocco from 2010 to 2012, and um, yes, Morocco was definitely considered a Poshcore country 
because of its proximity to Europe. We were also the medical capital for um, Sub-Saharan Africa and the rest of North Africa. So anytime anyone had an injury that in-service couldn't handle, they would send them up to Morocco. And um, the glitz and glamour of, of Rabat, uh, but volunteers in the country, we always knew that each country is not as posh as another person on the outside thinks. Um, so I think every Peace Corps country could be considered posh in one way or another. Well, that's kind of what makes you interesting as a Peace Corps volunteer, because, you know, every Peace Corps volunteer, you know, goes with a guitar and writes an album. But <laughs> you're the only Peace Corps volunteer I know who actually recorded your album professionally in Peace Corps as a Peace Corps project. Yeah, that was, you know... the. That was an experience unlike anything I had ever thought could happen. I didn't go into Peace Corps thinking that I would record an album. But yeah, I went knowing that I wanted to bring a guitar, so I brought a guitar. Um, and I just thought it would be a good way to communicate with people, both you know, other Peace Corps volunteers, kind of breaking the ice, um, but also my community. Um, because I know Morocco is a very musical country. So... Um, I got invited to perform at a very popular tourist cafe in Fez um, called Cafe Clock. And the owner had in invited me to play. So I played, and the director of the American Language Center in Fez, um, which is a center that teaches Arabic to um, Americans and other uh, people from like the UK and people who just want to come and learn standard Arabic. So it's really cool. And they offered um, for me to record an album and that some of the proceeds would go towards um, either their girls' shelter or a women's shelter that they helped sponsor. And I thought it was a wonderful idea because I had become such a big advocate of girls' empowerment, women's empowerment, because I, I feel like music is a very good way to bring to light certain causes, and it's a very like non-threatening, friendly way to talk about very serious things. And I feel like it's my job as both a a woman, a returned Peace Corps volunteer, to, to bring to light some of these issues in a way that's very presentable. And um, could you tell me uh, the name of your, your album? Yeah, the name of my album is called Little by Little, and I took it from a, a very popular phrase in Arabic, um, shwia bishwia, and that literally translates to little by little. And that phrase became rapidly important to me and other volunteers. Um, because anytime I was having a bad day or language is failing or um, anytime anything was difficult, as, as long as I would say shwia bashwia, like oh, little by little, everyone immediately understood. And when you got back, I mean, you've been really hustling for about two years, I guess. Yeah, I've just been home and playing shows and trying to talk about Peace Corps, but not over talk about Peace Corps because people hate that. People absolutely <laughs> hate it. And they tell you this when you're in your close of service uh, conference. They say that no one's going to want to listen to you after, like, I think they say five minutes, but they're being very generous. I think it's like, like five yeah, seconds. It's like ten seconds. Yeah, they're like, okay. Oh, Peace Corps, great. Let's get coffee. Yeah. Oh, glaze over. Like, <laughs> do you have an Instagram handle? Like, that's, that's what they want to ask you next. It's like, what? Um, so, you know, I, I, I try to, I think that's why I, I use the, music part to do that because it's like well you're stuck here listening to me so i'm gonna tell you this this story that relates to this album because this album is all about peace corps well that's what's uh so interesting about your album and that's what i notice every time i go to see you perform is like you know there's obviously a very real 
experience behind all of these songs. And it, you know, it, it perfectly encapsulates your Peace Corps experience, but it also, I think, encapsulates a lot of Peace Corps experiences, particularly nine hours to nowhere, sitting in a bus waiting for it to go across oh, yeah. the country, you know. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I, uh, <laughs> that's well, good to hear. <laughs> So you've been back about the same amount of time as I have, and I think I, I met you not too long after we both got back yeah. from Peace Corps. Um, and I've just sort of been amazed at how much you know progress and success you've had in these last two years. I think we've known each other two years. Is that right? Yeah. I don't maybe, actually remember the day we maybe met. Maybe a year. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember when it happened, but it happened. You recently, uh, you recently opened for Alina Dunham. Could you tell me I about did. that? I did. That was crazy. I submitted a YouTube video. Um, through a contest she was having for the book she came out with, um, Not That Kind of Girl. And I saw it on, on Twitter. Um, so, yay, Twitter. Uh, I find, you know, Twitter's really, I love Twitter. There's so much good information on there that it, it's it's great. Um, but anyways, someone had posted it. Oh, um, yeah, someone had posted it on her Twitter. I forget who. And I just clicked on it out of curiosity and saw that she was looking for couple local opening acts for some of her book tour stops and San Francisco was one of them and I was like why not so I submit a video of one of my songs that people really enjoy listening to so I'm like all right this is the one to go with and then I didn't hear anything back for like a month and and I remember reading that the date was like August 4th we were supposed to hear back and I submitted like July 31st like the last day and I was like oh well I guess I didn't get it and literally the day I took it off of my calendar like to not hold the spot I get an email from Random House Publishing that's like hey congratulations you've been selected and I was like what the bleep um but yeah we went it was like October 16th went up to San Francisco and met Lena and she's really really nice really friendly gave bear hugs was really nice to my brother signed books for us and um opened up and her audience was really responsive which was you know it was it was nice because I, I don't come from like the book world you know and I'm not really a big reader so it was it was really um it was really a fun experience but I, you know I the funny thing is like I was not nervous about meeting Lena Dunham I was I was I think that's kind of like a turning point for me I was I wasn't nervous about meeting the celebrity I wasn't nervous about giving a good performance yeah it was it was really really fun there's a, a recap video of the experience on my youtube channel so if you youtube sakura music you'll be able to check that out we'll be sure to ask twitter to sponsor this episode also. <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> so the, the last thing i wanted to ask you about is like um i'll just preface this with my experience is like when i tell people i'm you know a documentary filmmaker they're like oh i should do that because it's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Your job's harder than mine, I think. <laughs> but, like, what, what advice do you have for people who, like you, did Peace Corps and want to be musicians? I mean, what is the best advice you can give people? Just do it. Yeah, I don't know if that's helpful advice or not. I kind of just kept performing, and people kept responding, and then I got an offer to do an album. But, yeah, you know, I think you, you have to be – you have to figure out what the – your community wants to hear. I wouldn't. I don't know if I want to call them fans because they're like my friends. So it's like <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, but yeah. What is your community like? And that's a lesson directly from Peace Corps. It's like you. I remember. I think you and I were talking about this before. I think you had, you had mentioned it to me that you're never gonna get anywhere in any project you want to do, whether it's big or small in Peace Corps, 
if you don't have the community behind you. Yeah. I think it's the same thing for being a, you know, a filmmaker or being a musician or being a painter. It's like you'll never get anywhere with it if you don't have people who are supporting you and you're supporting them mm-hmm. um, by like going to their shows, you know, or 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 promoting them via your social media or whatever. You know, you you all have to lift each other up. We're all in this together, as that <laughs> High School Musical song says. Um, and I think that's something that. Peace Corps really, really taught me is that my most successful projects were ones in which the community was really, really behind because they saw the benefit. So, yeah. So, Sakura's album is called Little by Little. Uh, her website is sakuramusic.com. During nine hours to nowhere. been listening to the Poshcore podcast with Alan and Sakura. We're going to be releasing a new episode about once a month. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and check it out at poshcore.com. If you have any questions or comments, go ahead and email us at podcast at poshcore.com. And if you like us and you want to support the podcast, be sure to get on the website and buy our podcast bundle, which contains Sakura's album and my film. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. All right, let's try it one more time. Okay. <laughs> I had it. Let me get some water. Okay. This must be how an actress feels. This is why I could never be on TV. I would, I would just... God, I'd just laugh the whole time.